Good morning. There we go. Hey, uh, it's glad to have you here. For those of you joining us online and in the overflow, thank you for being here. Uh, my name is Nate. It's very nice to meet you. Um, we are continuing on in the second half, second part of Jude this morning. So that, if you don't know where Jude is, just flip to the back of your Bible, work back two books right there next to Revelation. As you're turning there, I'm going to take a very informal poll here as we get started. Um, who here likes to fight? And a, oh, see, you're not supposed to say that in church. That was a trick question. Some of you raised your hand, but you know, if but some of us, you can you can you can say you raise your hand on the inside. Who here likes a fight or likes to instigate a fight? You know, help create people to fight one another. Um, <clears throat> I'm not a fighter, right? I'm, I'm more of a withdrawer than a fighter. So I, I realized even as a young kid, I had a, had an older brother. Um, my brother Josh was bigger, faster, stronger than me. So if I was going to get into a fight, I'd have to punch and have to run, right? He could run faster, but I, I could run farther. So, and I remember the only time, I probably shouldn't admit this as I'm in front of people preaching God's word, but I took one swing at someone. It was my cousin. It's after we were playing basketball. But even then I was like, I was swinging as I was running away. So it, it didn't land. I probably missed him by three feet. I'm not the guy you want in a dark alley, you know, fighting with you, okay? That doesn't mean that there aren't things worth fighting for. Some things are worth fighting for. My family, ice cream, not necessarily in the same, you know. Fight for justice, for freedom, protecting the vulnerable, the purity and the, the clarity of the gospel. And we, can add, we could add more to this list. And Jude, who refers to himself as the brother of James, the slave and the servant of Jesus, even though he is also a half-brother of Jesus, he's writing to believers in this letter to challenge, to motivate, instruct them for something, a specific fight, to fight for the faith, to contend for the faith. And last week, Drew started us in this, this letter, and he highlighted why Drew wrote this letter. Verse 3, he said, Beloved, although I was eager to write to, to you about our common salvation, right? Jude originally said, Hey, I want to I write to you about the, your salvation, about the gospel which are good things to, to write about, but he found it necessary to write appealing to you con to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. We are called to fight to contend for the faith. Now, contend is a word that means to, to fight, to, to struggle, to agonize, a term that was used in competition like in ancient Greece, you know, where you have, an, you have competitors and you're trying to win. Now, it's not necessarily a word that was talked about in life and death struggle. It can be applied into that. But I think Jude rightly saw that there was an eternal life or death struggle at work here within this church. And he was writing to believers, we must contend for the faith. The faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Now, the faith, he's referring to God's special revelation that was contained in Scripture, this body of truth with a, with a capital T, that centers on God, God's Son, and that the Holy Spirit inspired certain people to write down God's words to then to deliver to the saints. And it was delivered once for all. Therefore, it, 
it's done. Like there's not new prophets and apostles that are coming along to add to God's word. It was delivered to the saints. It's unalterable. It's foundational. It cannot be changed. Now, our task as believers, with the Holy, help of the Holy Spirit, is to properly interpret what it meant in its original context and apply it to today. But it's not changing. Jude wrote to say, contend for the faith. And who then are we contending against? It is the false teachers. And what Jude discusses in, in more than half of this letter are the false teachers to help us know who to look for, to what to look for. And I'm telling you, these, the attacks against the truth and against what God's authority is nothing new. Even as you read verse 4, for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were destined for condemnation. It takes us back to the garden, doesn't it? Where the, the serpent kind of sidled in and said, hey, I, 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 is this truth that God delivered? Is that accurate? Is that true? Jude is going to give us a, a long description and traits of what these false teachers are, what to look for. First, he says, false teachers are creepy people. Not creepy in the sense that we normally think of, like, hey, that person's a creep. They creep in. They come in unnoticed. Suddenly, they're like, how did you get here? Jude is warning there's danger ahead. Don't depart from what's true. You may have enemies in your ranks. Therefore, contend for the truth. Contend against the false teachers. In verse 4, he begins to describe them. They're, they're ungodly people, maybe ungodly in character, but it's more the idea that they are ungodly. They have stepped out from underneath God's authority and have become an authority unto themselves. They believe their own authority. Therefore, it's almost like this. They believe the authority to change or to update God's, God's truth, to modernize it. And when we become authority... It doesn't just say, hey, I can decide what is true. It bleeds into how you live. It bleeds then into your morality. So they were ungodly people. Therefore, they then pervert the grace of God into sensuality. In other words, just follow your senses. If, if it's what you want to do, if what your heart tells you to do, if it's what your body tells you to do, then do it. It's fine because God, God's grace, it covers everything. And we're here to pronounce it and proclaim that God's grace does cover everything. No matter how horrible, no matter how disgusting, no matter how horrific our sins are, God's grace covers those things. But what God's grace does not do is justify. It doesn't minimize sin. It doesn't endorse sin. Goes on to say the false teachers also deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Probably the most dangerous trait of a false teacher is that you change or you skew, you, you kind of make Jesus into who you want him to be. And notice the theme here, too, of authority. They deny him as their master and Lord. They are their own master and Lord. But know this if you don't get Jesus right, everything else becomes wrong in the faith. Drew walked us through in these next few verses three examples found in verses 5 through 7 about, about these examples of people who rebelled against God, which then followed this pattern, led them into immorality, which then led them toward judgment. Israel in the wilderness, these angels of Genesis 6, Sodom and Gomorrah. Then Jude turns his examples to these examples to just more descriptions of these false teachers. Verse 8, they defile the flesh. 
falsely believe what they're doing in their, their, their bodies is okay when it's not. They reject authority. Again, a common theme. They revile angelic majesties. They are their own authority, their own feelings, their own intellect, their, their own understanding, their own dreams. That's what they follow. And like Drew said last week, he, he, Jude quotes and uses examples found in examples of what the common Jew would have understood at that time. Examples, oral tradition, not necessarily books that were in Scripture, but examples that the Jew would have understood to, to, to follow this pattern that to rebel against God's authority means that your life will change, there will be immorality, and therefore judgment will come. Verse 10, but these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. And he says to those false teachers, woe to you. Woe to you. Because people who have rebelled and led others into rebellion, like the examples of verse 11 about Korah, Balaam, and Cain. Woe to you, false teachers that you would be so arrogant to be your own authority and think you could, you could speak to things of which you have no authority because your rebellion will lead others into the same rebellion and lead them away from God and from the truth. And that's what Jude is writing to believers, to say, beware. There's a struggle. There's, there's a fight going on. It's time to contend. Verse 12 Jude is going to list, begin to list six examples to illustrate how serious and dangerous these, dangerous, these, these false teachers and their errors, errors are. First, he says in verse 12, it says, they are hidden reefs in your love feasts. Now, you don't, you're not going to see in the calendar of events in, in, uh, in our church that we, we have a love feast. It's not on the... That's not something we do, but here's, here's what it is. It was they would gather together, have a very fellowship meal that was part of their worship celebration together. It would also include the Lord's Supper. Think of it like a potluck in the midst of a worship center. I mean, a worship service, right? It's not that strange for us. Food makes every worship service better. Maybe we should start bringing a little more. I got a thumbs up from Carson. All right, well, well, well he might work that in. But this is what they did. They were hidden reefs that would come in. So people were allowed to come into their, their fellowship gatherings, their worship service, and yet they were hidden reefs. They were, they were planting things just under the surface that would shipwreck people's faith. I mean, you, don't, you really know that you've hit a reef under the water until it's too late, until your boat starts sinking. You think, what just happened? And that's the danger that Jude is trying to say. Then you'll find false teachers that have crept in unnoticed, and you need to pay attention. They're shepherds that are only feeding themselves, people among them that, that are only concerned about themselves, their platform, what they want to say, right? that, that, they, that they have the power and authority. They are clouds without water. Think about a, a dry and a thirsty land that says, oh, here comes the rain, and then it just passes by and gives you nothing. That's what false teaching does, what these dis deceptive um, ideas do. They promise something and then never deliver. You know what? You should feel free, right? I've heard this from people who've you know, deconstructed their faith. I, I finally left my, what, I, what I believed all the time, and I, I've never felt so free. Those those things, that path leaves you empty. Not free. It leaves you wanting with no nourishment. There are also autumn trees without fruit. 
See, false teaching produces no fruit. A great question when you look at someone's life and you think, man, something just doesn't sound quite right. Look at what they're producing in their life. Look at the lives of the people who are following after them. What's the fruit that they're producing? Because what Judah's saying is that they're a tree that is twice dead. And a dead tree, even though it looks alive, is actually dead. And it cannot and it will not produce the fruit that, have, that produces no fruit. It says in verse 13, they are wild waves of the sea. They churn up the trash of the sea and dump their shame and their filth to where everyone can see it. Whereas that shame and that filth should just be kept buried in the bottom of the ocean where it was meant to, meant to stay. He also calls them wandering stars. Could be a reference to, to meteors or, or shooting stars. But the idea is this, that these, these people are out of order. They're, they're unpredictable. though They don't follow the order that God had set and established for them. They went off course these stars did. And therefore, they are headed toward darkness and judgment. Verse 14, Jude says that these type of men, they were prophesied about. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all. And get note of this common word, to convict all of ungodly all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Again, this ungodliness is moving out from underneath God's authority and his truth. Now, there's debate here as to who Jude was quoting. Some say it was First Enoch, which is not a book that you're going to find in the Bible but was an extra book, but though that the common Jewish person would, would have understood the stories and such in that. And within that, there is this interchange um, or, or that, that, that Jude quotes, but like Drew mentioned last week, right? He's just quoting to, to try to illustrate his point to the, to the audience that he knows. And he's trying to make this point. Judgment is sure. It is certain if you leave God's truth and follow a path out from underneath God's authority toward an authority under yourself, there will be destruction. There will be judgment. And Jude then gives us a few more traits in the midst of this, verses 15 and 16. They say harsh things toward God. They're grumblers, never satisfied. They're malcontents. In other words, fault finders. They're only concerned about all their, their list of do's and don'ts. They're works-based, legalists to the extreme. They follow their own sinful desires, right? Their, their body and their sinful nature is their God. I will do what feels good to me, and I don't care what you have to say about it. They're loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain an advantage. They manipulate people through flattery in order to promote themselves and get what they want. See, so Jude has given us a clear picture, description, traits, characteristics of what these false teachers should look like in verses 4 through 16 because we need to know what to look for. We need to know what creepy people look like among us, false teachers, people who've crept in, that are carrying out, I would say, these deceptive and destructive schemes from the enemy. The enemy that's working out his plans through these false teachers but Jude's 
challenge back to us in verse 3 was to contend for the faith. We know now a picture of who we are to contend against, but how do we contend for something? So now Jude in verse 17 focuses back on us as the believers. He says, but you, verse 17, he's going to say in verse 20, but you, here's what you are to do. And again, this word contend means intentional, deliberate work, effort, agonizing effort. Here's what you to do. We contend by doing this. Be becoming inwardly strengthened and growing. We are to focus on inward strengthening and growth. And the first thing that he brings up in this process is to remember God's truth. He says, but you, you must remember my beloved. In other words, look back. Remember what was said. The predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't, don't forget what God has already told you. Don't yeah, look for what there's being said right now, but you got to go back and say, what has God already said? What did the apostles already tell you? He says to remember God's truth. And remember what the apostles told you, verse 18. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. We are to continue to expect false teaching and false teachers among us. It will continue until the, the day that Jesus comes back. Until everything is done away and, and made right. We are to expect false teachers and false teaching. It is nothing new. We are to know the opposition. And I think Jude, because he spent so much time describing these false teachers, gives us a few more descriptors, a few more traits. They're scoffers. They are mockers. They are those who oppose, belittle, and mock the truth of God. They follow ungodly passions. Again, something we've already heard him say. They let their sinful nature guide them and rule them. They cause divisions. They, they divide believers. They divide churches according to their own thoughts and their own categories and their own truth. They are worldly people. They, they follow their natural instincts. They, they rely on their own ability to reason and understand things. They rely on their own intellect. These are people that their worldview consists only of this world, as opposed to a biblical worldview, which puts God at the center, Christ at the center, and then everything else is filtered through that lens. But they, they are worldly people. They are devoid of the Spirit. And here, here's the problem, the main problem. They don't have the Spirit to guide them into what is true. The lies of today would sometimes sound like this. Well, we have a better understanding of the world now. We understand things better now. We've evolved. We've moved past those outdated. We've outgrown those, those uh, just narrow-minded and traditional views that have been, been in the Bible. We need to modernize our positions, accommodate to where the world is going. To contend for the faith, we need to expect false teaching, know the opposition, know what they're, they're bringing. But it also says the... What the believer we are to do is we are to build our faith upon God's foundation. Verse 20, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. To be built up. This on, it's a verb that says it's an ongoing process. And I want to ask us here, as followers of Jesus Christ, how are you building yourselves up? 
How, how are you growing in, in, in the, the foundation of your faith? Is the foundation of your faith strong, secure, built on something that will last? Are there cracks in it? Where, where, are, you, where are you getting your information to be able to answer the, the questions that are real in life? You know, what's my purpose? How, how, why are things wrong in this world? Those are questions we have to have answers for. So we grow inwardly strengthened and growing as it built upon God's foundation. We grow also through prayer by praying in the Holy Spirit. This, this word of saying, I'm going to pray not just simple prayers, not just those prayers before a meal, but when I pray and I come before God, it is acknowledging that I am utterly dependent upon him for truth, for anything good, for anything changing, any transformation in my life. And when I come to him in prayer through that, suddenly God has the opportunity to build me, to grow me. It says we are to keep yourselves, keep ourselves in the love of God. Because when we step out from under God's truth, away from living in a way that reflects his character and is according to his truth, we step outside of God's love. We, we, remove from, we go from being in a close relationship in an abiding relationship. It's really describing this abiding relationship of John 15 that Jesus is talking about. It says, abide in me. Abide in my love. Stay connected to me. So we keep ourselves in God's love by, by maintaining a relationship with him, by, by following what he says to do. We also are inwardly strengthened as we look for Christ's return, or as Jude puts it, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. We maintain an eternal perspective. We, we don't look at this world as a temporary world. We know that Christ is coming back and our kingdom is not the United States of America. Our kingdom is God's kingdom that will continue to hopefully be expanded here until he comes and, and makes it final. We contend for the faith. We grow and mature in our faith and our understanding. We prepare ourselves so we are strong. But we don't do that just so that we are strong and it's about us. We do this because there's also an outward component toward being strengthened and toward growing, which is where Jude turns our attention next. To contend for the faith means that we are ready prepared to show outward mercy and truth. We're not built up just so we can win an argument. We're built up so that we can win people. He goes on to say this and says, have mercy on those who doubt. We are to compassionately help those who have doubts. And if we're honest in this room, we would say, every single one of us, at some point in our life, we have had doubts. That is the natural progression of moving from a faith that is, was your parents or was what your, your church told you to believe to it becoming your own. I, I remember the period I had, I had doubts. Is this what I believe? Is it true? So... When your kids come to you and say, I don't know if I believe or I'm struggling. You don't say, oh, no, I've told you what to believe. I've raised you in the church. What are we going to do with you? That's not the approach, okay? 
say this, which was an advice given to me from a wider, wiser, older parent whose, whose daughter came back from college year, first year of college, say, Dad, I don't know if I believe all this stuff that you've taught me any, anymore. And he was like, I have been waiting for this moment. I'm, I'm thrilled that you're here asking these questions because that means that you're, you're moving from not just trusting the, what I said was true. You're saying, is this true? And you're investigating it for themselves. So let's walk together through these. These are real questions. They're questions that need answers to. And there's answers, but let's do this together. See, that's showing mercy on those who doubt. Not running away from the fight, but being ready to fight and contend in a way that is kind, the way that is coming alongside someone else. That's when we're inwardly strong and ready for those moments. That's why we contend. So parents, grandparents, expect this to happen. Prepare for it. Prepare for those questions. Doubts that go unaddressed or unexpressed will just continue to grow. So there's sort of stage one of people who have doubt that we have extend this outward mercy to. This next stage, he says, save others by snatching them out of the fire. Some people are further down the road, walking toward judgment, walking away from a destructive life on a destructive path. And we are to contend with them and say, come back. We know where that path leads. Come back. Snatching them away from the fire. And this third stage is to show others mercy with fear, like with, with caution, with discernment, hating even the garment stained by the flesh, knowing that some people that we are contending for, that we're trying to draw back, are involved in sins that may be a temptation to us and says, don't fall prey to that. Don't give in to that. So therefore, do that with caution. To contend for the faith means an inward strengthening and growth. It means outward mercy, but Jude ends in this benediction, in this prayer. It also means that there's an upward dependence and submission on the Lord. He closes in a, in a prayer, which is, which is normal for these letters, a common kind of pattern of this genre. But he draws our attention upward. And the real reason we contend for the faith and the way that we contend for the faith is we constantly have to keep our eyes on God and Jesus. He says, now to him, to God, who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God and to our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory and majesty and dominion and authority Note those words, dominion and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Why do we contend? Because we know that it's only God who can keep us from stumbling. He's the only one who can protect us and keep us within the, the, the guardrails of the faith. Because it is only God who, who can make us stand in his presence holy and blameless. It's the gospel that we come saying, I'm not good enough. I will never be good enough. No matter what the legalists and false teachers say, I can't do enough to earn my way to heaven. And that's the gospel for which we fight for, to which we proclaim, to say, if you're here, you're not good enough. You'll never be good enough. It is only Jesus and placing your faith in him that brings about the forgiveness of your sins. 
that restores a relationship between you and the Father and gives you eternal life. Because God, as he says in verse 25, has saved us through Jesus Christ, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we contend because God is, has, and deserves all the glory, all the majesty, and all the dominion is his, and all the authority is his. And therefore we submit to God's authority and to his truth. The current of our culture is not taking us toward God and his truth. It is drawing us away. It's like the current of the river, of the Niagara River headed toward the falls. And if we do nothing, if there is nothing to anchor ourselves to God's truth, and we're not becoming more secure, more firm in that, our culture will take us over the falls. So the question is, how secure are you? How secure are we? Where do you stand in terms of what you believe to be the authority? When people come to God's word and say, well, we can change it. It's like, I don't know where you get this idea. I, that's above my pay grade. I'm not a high enough official to say, I can change what this has said and what it has taught for, for centuries. I come to this and say, this is who God is. This is who he says he is. This is who he says that, of how we are to live. That God has all the dominion, has all the authority. We contend. We contend as a church. There's even some, some things that we, we do. We're, we're starting in two weeks. Show up and spend some time with Drew and I on a Saturday morning because we're, we're starting this thing called Grow First. We want to be intentional at helping our church, you, know how to. First of all, what is it that you believe? What is it that we as a church believe? I would say those truths within the guardrail of what is orthodox and what is true to say, this is what we believe. This is what we will, we will never compromise on. To walk through that, to walk through, hey, what is your testimony? Hey, what does it mean to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus? How do we get you plugged into serving? There's something we're calling grow first. We have midweek classes. I'm thankful for guys like, like Rod Taylor and Dave Maines who've led this keeping your kids on God's side class teaching parents about what they believe so that they can know the, the answers to teach their kids and how that branched out into other small groups and who've, who've walked through that or have walked through Mama Bear Apologetics, who've, you know, walking through so to know what they believe so they can give answers to those who are in their care. That's why we have small groups, not that we can, so we can just share precious verses with each other, but so we can be built up and understand the core truths of our faith. So that when false teachers may come in or, or something that comes in that just doesn't sound right, we can recognize it. Say, I'm not buying that. We'll have no part of that here in this body of faith. As we close and, and, and have a time of response here that will focus us back on Jesus. I want to say how diligent, how faithful, how strong are you individually in, in the current status of your faith and in your relationship with Christ? How 
secure are your feet for in the waves of false teaching and lies that will continue to bombard us, will your feet remain secure? If you have doubts, I want to tell you, this is a safe place to express them, to ask your questions. We, we take the mask off and we're real because we want to make sure that you have God's answers to the questions you're asking. We have a responsibility as people, as followers of Jesus, because this faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, that we must contend for it and contend against those who are drawing us away out from underneath God's authority toward a, a different, a new, and updated truth, but that there is not a new, updated truth. It is God's truth and will always be God's truth. I'm going to ask you to stand as I close in prayer and just want to challenge you that there'll be people up here that if you have questions to, to pray, if you have questions about this gospel, you know, this, this is what Jesus did on the cross for my sins, come ask those questions. If you say, I have doubts, man, we want to hear those. We want to, to, to walk with you through those. So, but I want to challenge you. Respond, take steps to contend for the faith that God is leading you to do. Let me close in prayer. Now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling. You are able to keep us from stumbling, to present us blameless before you in the presence of your glory with great joy. To you, our only God, our Savior, who is Jesus Christ, may you receive all the glory. May you receive all the majesty. May yours be the dominion and the authority before all time, now and forevermore. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.